0: Keep yourselves in Psalm 95. We're going to kind of go all over the place today. I know it's a little warm in here today, and, you know, we don't always have the perfect settings here, so I'm going to ask you to kind of make do with it, but um, pray that the Spirit of the Lord speaks to your heart today. Thanks, bud. I want to open up with this verse in Psalm 95. We just read it for our scripture reading today. Come, let us worship, Psalm 95, 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I want to talk to you today about worship and the glory of Christ. Worship and the glory of Christ. We hear a lot today about the issue of worship, don't we? And much is talked about today regarding worship and regarding uh, its intention. You know, a lot of churches boast in their in their worship service, right? And people judge in this day and age, a lot of people judge churches not so much by the truth that's coming out of the pulpit, but they judge worship by the, um, by the way it makes them feel, right? And that's, you know, worship in the church has become synonymous with, with music. And I'm going to submit to you right away, worship is not music. It's not synonymous with music, You know, churches go to great lengths to foster what they call a worship experience. And they do so by using various technologies. They use various techniques, right? Playing styles of music that most people will enjoy. Professional quality musicians and vocalists, you know, they all come together. And by the way, I believe that everything in the church should be done well and it should, you know, it should have a quality to that. But all of it is designed, or much of it is designed, it appears these days, to appeal to the attendee, right? To appeal to them and say, oh boy, look, look at the way we have worship in our church, and to make it as much as a pleasurable experience as possible. But there is a problem with this, okay? There is a problem with this. And that is that we come to church, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we come to church to worship God. We come to worship Him, to give all of our worship to Him. And the worship is not so much about us as it is about the object of our worship, which is the Lord God and Jesus Christ. Okay, We come to church to worship Him. Everything we do is about the worship of God. We call this what? We call this a worship service. And you often hear me say many times we worship the Lord through singing. We worship the Lord through the reading of the Word of God. Just bear with me one second. We worship the Lord through the reading of the Word of God. We worship the Lord through the preaching of the Word of God. We worship the Lord through the singing of the Word of God. But there's one thing in common about this, right? All of it is directed toward God. It's directed toward Him because He is the only one that is worthy of worship. Can we agree on that? Amen. Thank you for that. I'm glad we can agree upon that. And one of the things that's really important and I think is really critical is one cannot worship God with a distant heart nor could one worship God with a sinful heart, right? So we don't orient our worship toward the sinner. We orient our worship toward the believer so that the believer comes into this place and he renders to God that which God so richly deserves. Neither is worship reserved from one hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday, Right? I think we talked a little bit. The last message I preached, I preached about pray at all times. Paul tells the church, right? Pray without ceasing. And you sit there and you go, How could I pray without ceasing? Well, to pray without ceasing means that you have a God consciousness, that your mind is constantly fixed on God, it's fixed on Christ. It's fixed on the Holy Spirit. You get up and God is on your mind. You have breakfast, God is on your mind. You go to work, God is on your mind. You're at work, God is on your mind. And you're in the Spirit, worshiping and praising God. Well, it's the same thing with worship. Don't ever make the mistake that, you know, Sunday i got to go to church because that's the time I worship the Lord. Just had, you know, just a great experience this past week or so where just being alone in nature and just seeing the beauty of God and my heart bubbles over in worship and I say, Oh God, how magnificent you are, how glorious you are, how wonderful you are. And I find myself getting enraptured and I find myself praising God. And so many believers don't know that experience we got to be men and women to come to the place where the Lord is preeminent in our life. And if the Lord is preeminent in our life, guess what? The Lord is going to be preeminent in our emotions. And in the good, we can say, praise God. And in the not so good, we can say, praise God. And in the bad, we can say, praise God. Worship is a condition of the heart. And it's a condition of the heart of the one who loves Christ. I don't understand many times that people don't want to be bothered. People don't want to be engaged. And I want everybody to come to that place where Christ is the most important, is the most vibrant thing of their life. So that in all things, we can say, praise God, glory to God. You know, worship is all about the object. That's what worship is about. It's not about the selfish experience. It's not about the me experience. Worship is about the object. The object is Christ. The object is God. We sit and we contemplate and we meditate and we think about Christ and we think about the Word of God and it draws us to Jesus Christ and He becomes the object of our worship and He becomes the one who gets our praise. The biblical, the Greek word for worship actually means to bow and kiss the ground, to prostrate oneself. And it actually gives the image of when one would go before a sovereign, one would go before a king. And in the ancient days, when you would go before a king, you would be forced to bow, you would go on the kneel, at times you would kiss the ground, and you could only look up as he directed you to look up. And we think about that. And we think about that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is none higher. There is none better. And that that King and that Lord, He bids us to come and worship Him. Look what we saw in Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. We are a people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. In worship, we effectively become irrelevant. Our only relevance is that we have come and humbled ourselves to give glory and to give honor to our God and maker and our Lord Jesus Christ. Being a worshiper of Jesus Christ is is not something we merely do on Sunday. The believer in Christ is defined by their worship of Christ. For the believer, our worship of Christ, in essence, defines who we are. Let me share something. There's a danger. There's a danger today of worshiping the worship rather than worshiping the object of the worship which is Christ. The great Puritan John Owen, one of of the best known Puritan writers in his famous book, The Glory of Christ. Owen writes this concerning the glory of Christ. He says this, One of the greatest privileges and advancements of believers, both in this world and eternity, consists, And they're beholding the glory of Christ. God has granted the believer, you ready for this? God has granted the believer a glimpse into the glory of Christ here on earth. That we can get a glimpse of what that glory is going to be. Do you know when we go to heaven, what are we going to do? We're going to spend a lot of time worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, praising the Lord. If we don't enjoy it on earth, we're not going to enjoy it in heaven. As a matter of fact, if we don't enjoy it in earth, chances are we won't be in heaven. But we are going to have this great opportunity to worship the living Christ Christ, the glorified Christ, round the throne of God. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine such a glory that we will lay eyes on him? We will behold him in his resurrected glory with innumerable people around the throne of God, never ceasing to say, Holy, 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 glorious, glorious God, and worship the Lord. The King and on earth, as we draw near, as we draw more intimate in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, He gives us those glimpses of glory. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where all of a sudden you were alone with the Lord in prayer and the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you find that there's nothing else you can say but praise God, glorify God, magnify God. You pause, you almost get speechless. The room just gets so quiet. I like to say that the room, the quiet becomes so loud. You don't hear a car pass by, you don't hear anything. You're alone with God. And you find your heart and you find your mind saturated, exploding with the glory of God. Where all you could do is say, praise God, I thank you. As we meditate upon the Word of God, as we lift our hearts up in song before the Lord, as we contemplate and get alone with God, it's there that the Spirit of God gives us a glimpse Of that glory of Christ. And once you get it, our hearts begin to yearn more and more for Christ. Our hearts begin to yearn more and more for His Spirit, more and more for the things of God. It is then that God reveals to us that glimpse. Of the eternal glory. This is what John Owen is talking about. We like to say that. We want to go deeper. And deeper into Christ. To find those. Those hidden riches. We pray that. The spirit of God takes us deeper into him. And the hope and the joy. And the reward of the believer. Is to see with the eyes of faith to view to contemplate and behold and apprehend the glory of Christ so many miss that so many miss the intimacy with the spirit and substitute religious ritual and religious tradition for that. And it's my heart, and it's my prayer that we as a people of God would come together and that we would come to that place where we each have that consciousness and we all know of the fullness of that Spirit. So today we're going to look at three elements of worship, of godly worship, and they are this, number one, worship as defined by Christ, worship devoted to Christ, and lastly, worship declaring Christ. We're going to look at these three elements, we'll be going back and forth in the scriptures, Let's look at the first one, worship defined by Christ. And to do so, I'd like you to open your Bible to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Should be familiar with you. Here we read of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well she has questions regarding the proper worship of God. Her question begins in John 4.20. She says to Jesus, now you know the story that happens before, right? Jesus asked her for a drink. He engaged in a dialogue. He tells her, hey, you know, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're absolutely right. The man you're living with now is not your husband, right? And she says... Hey, I perceive that you might be a prophet, right? In John 4.20, she asks a very important question. This question is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. In John 4.20, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, one thing about Samaritans. Samaritans had, these were the ten tribes of the northern kingdom that had fallen away. And they had integrated into the pagan way and lifestyle. They had adopted pagan ways. They had adopted pagan worship while they maintained supposedly a belief in the first five books of the Old Testament. So they integrated pagan worship into Judaism. As a result, Jews considered them half-breeds. They had contempt for them. They didn't like him. No Jew would, Jew would walk all the way out of his way not to walk through Samaria. But Jesus found the need to do so and he did, right? So they're recognized as half-breeds, as impure, right? And so basically the question that she's asking is she's saying, look, our fathers say to worship God, you worship him here in the mountain over here. But you Jews, you Jews say the only place to worship God is down there in Jerusalem in the temple, right? Because that was supposedly the dwelling place of God. So basically, what does she ask of Jesus? Okay, prophet, tell me where do I go to worship the one true God? Isn't that what people are asking today? Tell me how I can worship God. Tell me where I can come to know Christ. Now you really got to pay attention and really listen to the response of Christ beginning in John 4:21. Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jew but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You notice what Jesus says. It's not there, it's not over here. The true worshipers are the ones who worship him in spirit and in truth. They're the ones that have been born again. They're the ones who have come to Christ. They're the ones who are in a relationship with him. They're the ones that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are the ones that can come in and worship God in spirit and in truth. Believers worship the Father in the Spirit of God. We worship in truth as we reflect upon the person of God and the truthfulness of His Word. And it is clear from the words of Jesus Christ that worship is about God and not about us. Let me say that again. Worship is about God. He is the object. Christ is the object object. A lot of people say, oh, I love that church. I love the worship. I I come out feeling so good. Worship is not about you. When we come before and when we sing the songs and we sing the hymns before before the Lord, when we open up the Word of God, it's all about Him. Who's worthy? We're not worthy. He is worthy. And yes, as we draw our attention upon Christ, In worship, yes, some of the burden of the world gets lifted. Yes. Why? Because we're not absorbed with ourselves. We're absorbed with Him. You ever have that moment where you sit and think about all the things that God has done for you, and you sit there, and you sing, and you praise, and you realize, oh my goodness, I'm caught up to be a enraptured with the Lord in worship. It's Christ who deserves the praise. The heart that's fixed upon God, the heart set upon Christ, worships Christ in the reading of Scripture, in the meditation and contemplation of His Word. We worship in the private prayer, in the corporate worship and service to Christ. The heart that is fixed upon Christ Contemplates the more profound things of Christ, desires greater intimacy with Christ, and desires the Holy Spirit and His gifts. Why? So that much will be made of Christ. How much do you make of Jesus Christ? How much is your heart fixed upon Him? Listen, the believer whose heart is fixed upon Christ yearns, desires more of Christ. More. It is grieved by sin. Not only its own sin, but it's grieved as it looks out upon the world and sees the sin of the world. It desires to see others come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It desires others to come into the fullness of Christ. The heart's desire is that Christ would be glorified, Christ would be magnified, Christ would be exalted. Despite ourselves and our earthly desires and pursuits. To the believer in Jesus Christ, the worship of God, the worship of Christ is the highest responsibility and it becomes the pursuit of our lives. The more a believer grows in Christ, the more the desire for Christ to be glorified emerges and they are no longer content with superficial religious rituals. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a funeral where there is the deceased and some uh, 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 official or minister or whatever comes out and opens up the scriptures and may read something like, Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house on many mansions. If it were not so, I would go to tell you so. And they utter the word of God completely dead. Just mumbling words. That's what they become. They become mumbling words. But oh, the glorious times that I've been at the... The funeral of a saint where the word of God is opened up and we can look and say how blessed are those who die in the Lord and we could talk about the glories of heaven and we could talk about the life of a believer and we could exalt God and we could worship God even in death. The believer in Christ, as they yearn for Christ, as they pursue Christ, not content with superficial ritual. And if I may make a statement, neither should we. We shouldn't be going to the Word of God only when there's trouble in our life. But we should be in the Word of God. We should be immersed in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the more that we are immersed in the Word of God, you will find a a correlating action in your life. The more you're immersed in the Word of God, the more you're going to find that you worship God. Listen to the Word of God. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Delight thyself in the Lord. He will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do that. Delight thyself in the Lord. Delight thyself. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Do you take delight in Christ? Look what it says. If you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 43, verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise Thee, O God, my God. Psalm 104, verse 33 and 34. I will sing to the long as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. Oh my goodness. Are we glad in the Lord? Do we sing to the Lord? Is that the the quote of our life? We're going to sing to the Lord as long as we live. Paul says this great in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Note that the various scriptures on worship and how they consistently point to the object of worship being the Lord and not ourselves if our lives are not in pursuit of Jesus Christ, then our worship experience will be superficial. But if the object of our worship is based on the Spirit's moving in our heart, as a result of the new birth, as a result of a desire for intimacy with Christ, as a yearning for a deeper relationship with Christ, Then we can say like the psalmist in Psalm 37 that we can delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our hearts. In Psalm 37 verses 5 and 6, notice what he says here. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as light and your judgment as noonday. I've said this before and I'll say it again about Psalm 37. It's a very interesting truth that comes out here. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, that would mean that our desire is Him. Right? If we desire Him, we're going to delight in Him. If we're delighting in Him, He is our desire and the Lord tells us if we delight ourselves in the Lord he will give us the desires of our heart I want to be crystal clear about this this doesn't mean that anything I want I'm going to get because I delight myself in the Lord my delight is in the Lord he will give me the desires of my heart And I'm going to tell you that the desire is indeed the Lord. So think about it. You take your delight in the Lord... He's going to give you the desire of your heart, which is what? Is that intimacy and that fellowship with the Lord. He's going to give you that intimacy. He's going to give you that worship experience. And what you're going to find is the things of earth are going to fade away, fade away, fade away. And what is going to emerge and what is going to come clearer and clearer is the Lord. And all the things of the world. Can't compare to that. So the question we need to ask ourselves, church, is this? Is the Lord, is Christ the desire of our heart? Now you might say, I've been saved. So I guess, yeah, he is. But that's not the answer. The answer is the proof of your desire is in your pursuit. Are you pursuing Christ? Do you desire Christ? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you thirst for his presence? which has preeminence in your life is it the shiny objects of the world is it the glitter of the world is it the things of the world while you're saying yes I'm saved or is it Christ himself does Christ occupy your thoughts your desire is there a deep longing in your soul for him Listen, I I, I told you guys during the prayer time how much I love this church. And I do. And I love everybody in this church. But you know what drives me? What drives me is my love for Christ. What drives me is to see others come alive and vibrant in the love of Christ. What drives me is is wanting to see revival and see the glory of God fill his church again. And I want to be specific, to see the glory of God fill this church. eagerly await the day to see Christ. Man, I hope it happens today. I got no qualms saying that. There's nothing I want from this world. Keep it. You can keep it all. I want Christ. I want to see his glory. And I want to see it not because he'll save my soul from the problems and the travails of this world. I hear people a lot of time, oh, I can't wait for the rapture. I'm so sick and tired. It's great. I'm sick and tired of it too. But while we are here, we are here to labor. We are here to bring others into the kingdom of God. But I want to see the lover of my soul. I want to fall at the feet of that that nail-scarred hands and those nail-scarred feet and that pierced side. And I want to fall at his feet and I want to just worship him there. I submit to you today that we will never experience the fullness of his presence until such time that we hunger for the Lord and desire him above all else. All else. Let's look at the second aspect. Worship devoted to Christ. Again, John Owen In that book, The Glory of Christ says this, No man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven who does not in some measure behold it by faith in this world. Oh, that's pretty heavy. Jesus Christ is the believer's object of eternal worship. Heaven will be filled with His praises and the worship of Christ in John's revelation to Jesus Christ we repeatedly see Christ is worshiped in heaven and how much heaven will be how much of heaven will be times of worshiping Jesus Turn in your Bibles over to Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 Revelations 5. We see here a cast in heaven that is worshiping Christ. As Christ is being handed the title deed of the earth. And soon will unleash a series of judgments in the world. And we see here four living creatures who are four angelic beings that surround the throne of God. And we see 24 elders, which is representative of the church, of the redeemed of Jesus Christ. And with the church now snatched up and in heaven, we see the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 5. And we see a threefold worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Note that Christ is praised because He was what? He was slain, and He purchased for God with His own blood men from all over the earth, the saved, the redeemed, and the church was made to be priests for Christ, ministers for Christ. If you're saved and in Jesus Christ, you're a minister for Jesus Christ. You're a priest. You offer up the worship unto God. And in this great scene of the glory of Christ, notice that all the worth, all the praise, all the honor is given unto Jesus Christ. We see gathered around the throne innumerable people praising Christ and rendering Him the worth and the honor that he so richly deserves. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to worship the Father and we worship the Son and the person of the Holy Spirit. This mighty three in one and this one in three. And the Word of God tells us that we are to ascribe to the Lord that which he so richly deserves. Listen to Psalm 29.2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Psalm 96.8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. And to ascribe means to render. To render to God. The glory that is due him. You know what? One of the greatest tragedies that occurs in every church service everywhere, I'll tell you, it's when it comes time to worship the Lord. And there are those that will worship the Lord like this there is a fountain filled with blood, and sinners plunge beneath the flood and lose it. No one worships God. When we come to worship the Lord, when we come to praise the Lord in song, that is a time to turn your heart completely and wholly to Him. And to never take the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ as routine to never take it with indifference. There's a reason why when we talk about when we come before the table of the Lord, that the Apostle Paul says, let a person examine themselves, right? If there's sin, if there's indifference in their life, let them examine themselves. Let them confess. The same is true when we come into the church. When we come into the church, let us empty ourselves of everything that's out there. And as we come to sing the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, let us sing with a full heart to God, for He deserves it. He deserves it. Let's look at the third point. Worship fueled by faith. True salvation is born out of a heart that has been touched by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Paul tells to church in Ephesus in 2.7, Ephesians 2.7, in order that in the ages to come he might show the the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It is in salvation, rebirth, that we experience not merely the grace and the forgiveness of God but we also come to understand the matchless worth of Christ. In salvation, we shout forth in our soul the praise, the glory, the honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And only when we are saved can we exclaim, I can't get past the grace of Jesus. It is then that your soul explodes in praise to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the precious Holy Spirit. This is precisely what Jesus meant in John 4.23 when Jesus said, An hour is coming and now is when true worshipers, underline that, true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Many people can sing in church. Many people can get up there and play the greatest hymns ever on any instruments. Many professional vocalists can sing a hymn, but only the saved can worship Christ. And it is only the worship of the saved That Christ receives. As believers in Jesus Christ. We the saved. Worship. In spirit. And in truth. And we have been granted a glimpse. Of Christ's glory by faith on earth. And we will forever behold the glory of Christ. Turn in your Bible to Revelation 19. Want to see what worship looks like? The Word of God gives us a great example. Revelation 19, beginning with verse 4. The Word of God reads, In the twenty-four elders, And the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and great. And they heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. This is worship that is fueled by faith. This is worship that is fueled by the redeemed. Notice this glorious scene in heaven as the church bows down, as the angelic beings bow down, as everything that is in heaven bows down and gives glory and gives praise to God. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? You just got a view into it. As we worship, as we praise, as we magnify, as we glorify the one and only Jesus Christ. Once again John Owen writes these words. The sight of the glory of Christ is the spring and cause of everlasting blessedness. We shall forever be with the lord church it is in christ that we are blessed to worship god the father and our lord jesus christ in christ we get a vision a glimpse of faith of the minuscule portion of his glory And it is in Christ that we shall gather round the throne of God and behold His glory and worship Him forever and ever and ever. And I don't know about you. I don't know if that thrills you or I don't know if that bores you. But if you are in Christ, you should be thrilled because the glory of Christ is going to far exceed anything that has ever that you have ever experienced on this earth by a bazillion. It is the glory of Christ. We sang as our opening hymn, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Do you have a vision of Christ? Or are you one that incorrectly concludes that you said a prayer and you're all good with God and that's the only thing that matters? Is Christ the priority of your life? They're Christian. Despite the chaos and the unrighteousness of these times. We as believers have been bestowed with a glorious honor. Glorious honor. We are a kingdom of priests for our God. And we have been given the privilege to worship God. Let me say that again. We've been given the privilege, the privilege. To worship God. We have access to the only wise God. To the eternal God. We can come before His throne as He beckons us to come. And as followers of Christ, we will one day cry out in unison, as they said in Revelation 5:12, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory and blessing." This is what it means to worship God. It's not some religious formality or tradition. It is to come into His presence. And to worship Him. And my prayer for this church is that we would be this kind of people. That we truly would have a vision of Christ. That we would not be satisfied. That we would push deeper and deeper and deeper in Christ. And so that we could be a people who know our God, and as I say all the time, and are known by our God. And that our worship would be a pleasing and it would be a fragrant aroma to our God and Savior. And that can only come as if you're saved. If you're in Christ. If you're not, I beg you, I beg you by the Word of God to repent of your sins and by faith come to Christ and ask God to forgive you And pray that the Lord would grant that you would be born again. And you would come into a right standing with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.